Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hawks Insiders, Wednesday Night Space Space. My name is Ashley Brown, and let's sit back for the next little while and look at the week that was, the week that's coming, the month, and even the trade period and draft that's coming through the most important lens of all, that is with one brown and one golden eye. Um, it should be fun tonight. Um, we've got nearly a full board of the insiders with us tonight, actually. We're dismissing one, and he might join us a bit later on. So it's good to be back, a bit like the Hawks have been this year, close to full strength. Um, in the driver's seat tonight is Danny Prince. Hello, Danny. Hi, Ash. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We're always uh, good for it after a win. Hey, the whole whole complement of, uh, of insiders tonight at some stage. Let's hope so. Uh, Andrew Weiss back from the wilds of West Sydney. Hello. G'day, Ash. Good evening, everyone. Good to be back. I feel like uh, the last three weeks there's been something missing in my life and Baby, it's you. Could just be that. Well, could just be that the spaces is it. So, looking forward to another evening of brown and gold chatter. Um, and Brad Clavanti, hello. Good evening, all. Great to be here again after a win, especially. Uh, you're not at your best after a win, but we'll, uh, we'll you'll get we'll, you'll get through anyway, no doubt. And uh, Simon Morrowitz, hello. Hey Ash, thanks for having us. Yeah, excellent, excellent week to be part of it. Good to have you on board. Um, as always, we like questions, we like feedback, we like uh, as wide a contribution as possible. So, uh, you know, the drill sent a question through the Twitter into the Hawks, into the thread for this spaces or request to speak, and we will endeavour to get you on in the next hour or so. We'll start with our last look at last Sunday at Mail Stadium in front of a surprisingly healthy crowd of 30,000 or so. People, it was Hawthorne, 12 16, to North, 6 40. Funny old game uh, that Hawthorne, after a three goals eight first quarter, should have made five goals in front rather than three goals, whatever they were. Halftime, 3 13 to 4 1, led by a goal, should have been seven goals up. Eventually, order was destroyed in the third quarter as they finally started keeping straight and had a reasonably comfortable win, albeit against a very ordinary opposition. Um, Andrew, you have been charged with the good. Just gives you two or three bullet points. Oh, there's plenty of good to come out of it, starting with the fact that uh, it's always nice to beat North, let alone twice in a season, and let alone finish above them for the 16th year in succession. So that was very, very, very good. Um, despite... The wasted chances, we, we pretty much won the second half by 40-odd points. Our midfield, in particular, James Warple, was sensational again. Um, and he's continuing his brilliant run of form this year. Um, I noted the games from Sam Frost, Finn McGuinness, Jack Scrimshaw's best game for the season. Um, and then the other couple of players worth noting, I thought Carl Amon really showed his class um, and that he's a cut above in the, um, with, with his elite use of the ball. Um, 
and you know shout outs to Connor McDonald and Josh Ward who together look like uh, they're growing Connor McDonald. I, I just I love him so much and um, that whole pool of midfielders, you know, with with the Longs and McKenzie still to come in. Uh, it's very, very exciting. And just finally, um, I think one of the best things to come from it is now that we're guaranteed pretty much 16th spot, we can sit back and have a bit of fun for the rest of the season um, and experiment a little bit. So um, the job was done. That was the one game we just had to win and, and we did it. Uh, Brad, the bad. Uh, not a lot of bad. Obviously, the goal kicking in the first quarter, I tweeted that first half of the game was a horror show. Like, to sit through that was horrendous. It was good that they bounced back and, you know, played really well in the second half. I know they played well in the first quarter, but some of the skill errors, the kicking for goal was just absolutely deplorable. Uh, the uh, Ruckman again, terrible. I get Ned Reeves won the hitouts again, but honestly... Like he was playing with a ball covered in soap for the whole game. The bringing in of Lloyd Meek, I get Max Ramsden, you know, was going to come in, but I probably would think he would have played a bit more forward. I thought DGB was really stiff to be made as the sub. Uh, That was a really poor decision again. He should have been given at least another week up forward. We saw when he came on in the second half after Fergus got subbed off, he played pretty well. Um, So hopefully he holds his spot this week against the Tigers, and I really hope we don't play the two Ruckman again. James Blank should be back fit, which means Sam Frost can hopefully play that backup Ruck position, which he did all right last time he played in that position. So I'd be dropping one of the Rucks, letting Frost be the backup Ruckman and Blank back in and also freeze up Sis down back. So, yeah, not a lot of bad. Um but, yeah, the key this week will be hopefully we don't go in with the two Ruckman against Richmond. We like to talk about the fan experience here. Um, and we've one of the joys of the season for you, Moira, has been that your little fella is starting to get into going to the footy with his dad and watching the Hawks. And I think he's two for two, if I'm not mistaken. He is. He's the good luck charm for the footy club. How did he enjoy... I think his first game might have been at the home of football. How did he enjoy the hell of football under the roof at Marvel. Yeah, first first appearance at the Dockland Stadium. Doesn't have the quite quite the same significance as first game at the MCG, but he loved it, and he's two for two. I, I know that there was that article that came out at the start of the year bemoaning the fact that this uh, some guy's young son might never see Hawthorne play a win, but um, you just got to pick the right games, I suppose. Um, no, it was wonderful. It was great, and, and my main takeaway from it is so my mate, uh, my son's bestie is a North Melbourne fan. Um, and so there's two dads and two four-year-olds sitting there and, and two of them are, you know, Hawks fans, two are North Melbourne fans. And it was quite amusing to have the two dads talking to their kids. And one of them says, you know, son, we're, we're at the bottom of the ladder, but we're heading in the right direction. You know, we're going up. And the other guy's sitting there next to his son going, you know, we're at the bottom of the ladder and uh, you just got to enjoy coming to the footy. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. And I thought that was quite telling. We had some North Melbourne supporters near us, and let me know. Let me tell you, the gallows humour of the North Melbourne supporters was uh, was an endearing part of the afternoon. Their uh, their their team is shot, and they know their team is shot. Um, and the gallows humour was something to behold. 
Uh, before we leave fan experience, I just want to take a very slight detour. Um, we see you spent last week at Giants Stadium, a, a venue I suspect not too many of the people on the spaces tonight have been to. Just give us a 60-second summary of what it's like to go to a, footy, a game of footy at Giants Stadium in the west of Sydney. Yeah, so, I mean... The issue, I think, is more about the location of the stadium than the stadium itself. Um, having been to the Gabba and Metricon, like, I don't mind the smaller base stadiums. And, and it was an, a brilliant viewing spectacle stadium. But um, I think the biggest knock is the fact that it's at Homebush, which is in the middle of nowhere. So if I was travelling back into Sydney proper, it would have been an issue. Um, But it just so happened that I was uh, heading to the Australian Table Tennis Championships the next day that were literally uh, 15 metres away in the the sheds next door. So um, it really was an issue from that point of view for me. got to say the food outlets all around the venue were absolute top shelf gourmet there wasn't a cuisine you couldn't get in there um and i also had the fortune talking of fan experience ash um i I got there fairly early and one of the members of the cheer squad came up to me and basically saw me with the the hawk scarf on and um just said we're pretty short on numbers because of uh, because uh, most of the, the cheer squad were still in Melbourne. Um, do you want to put the banner up and be part of uh, lifting the banner for when the team runs out? So that was a different sort of experience, lugging the lugging the poles on and off and being part of the moving it around and up and down and up again and, and being there as they ran on. So, yeah, it was a pretty good day out, except for obviously the result. You didn't tell me you're a member of the media and therefore it's probably not the right thing for you to be part of the cheer squad? I uh, didn't because we, you know, we had spoken to them about getting media accreditation. So, you know, once that got, <laughs> once that got poo-pooed, then uh, it was game on. But um, no, it was, it was a really good experience and, and just being there to see actually how hard... Um, I, I mean, the perspective of the banner until you're there and unrolling it, you don't realise it. And just how dedicated and committed the guys that were there um, actually actually are. It's pretty incredible the work that they do uh, every week, all week, every week. It's, it's phenomenal. Absolute shout out to anybody who is on the space tonight who is in the cheer squad or has friends in the cheer squad. They've been doing sterling work for the footy club for more than 50 years now, so and an integral part of the club. So well done to them. And their dedication knows no bounds. Now, we are going to get to a bit of a, a spicy debate in a couple of minutes, but Danny, before we do that, uh, let's run through quickly through Box Hill. They had a great win um, against... Uh, I mean, they had a lot of the, lot of the younger Hawthorne listed players in the side, but North had a few experienced players there. Box Hill prevailed 10-13-73 to 10-8-68. With a final score, I don't know whether you saw the match-saving Sam Mitchell-esque tackle by Cooper Stevens that helped seal the deal, but that was a pretty good win by Box Hill over North. Yeah, it was a great win, and um, and you're right. Uh, North Melbourne had um, 
a really strange VFL team where their VFL team would have given their AFL team a run for the money, their money, I reckon. Todd Goldstein coming up against uh, Clay Tucker, the poor kid in his, I think, fourth VFL game, copped an absolute pasting and some of the best pure ruck work I've seen from anyone at any time. And uh, Mora can attest to this. I think you commented, Mora, on a piece of ruck work from Goldstein in that match. And it was just absolutely unbelievable. He was spoon-feeding the North mids, including Aaron Hall. I reckon he gave Aaron Hall 30 of his 45 touches or something like that. So for them to, uh, the the Hawks being them, to come away with a win, I would say, against the odds with a few outs this week and CJ pulling out halfway through the game and, um, you know, that sort of thing, I think is, uh, is, is a testament to the, uh, the young talent that the Hawks are developing because it was on the back of a lot of the young players. Um, and also the uh, huge improvement in coaching this year from last year with Zane Littlejohn at the helm. Uh, I'm a big rap for Zane Littlejohn. I think he's a, a fantastic man manager. I think the way that he um, gets, the, gets the boys up every week and you can listen to the Box Hill videos uh, on Instagram, if you want to um, just get a glimpse of, of what he's like as a coach, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan. So um, I think that you know the experienced Box Hill players stood up when they needed to. Like you said, massive tackle at the right time from Cooper Stevens when North looked like they were going to break out of the Hawks attacking fifty and go through the middle of the ground. Um, and yeah, just good to see young players stand up. Ned Long was fantastic. I thought Bailey McDonald. Uh, really showed a lot off halfback flank. I think one of the stories of the second half of the year is the emergence of Jai Sarong as a legitimate defensive option and somebody at 192 centimetres who could be that third tall um, at at the back, you know, in a post-James Sicily era. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some really good signs there. And I think, you know, Sam Butler uh, as well, kicked two, three, could have had five or six. Um, and was really a bit of a game changer for the Hawks when they needed somebody to stand up early in the contest. So all in all, a massive win. Such a shame that the game, once again, was played at the same time as Hawthorne were playing. I mean, I watched the highlights. And by the way, if you haven't seen the Zane Littlejohn three-quarter time speech, which is on social media, uh, seek it out and have a listen. It really is great uh, inside access that Box Hill gave. And, I agree with you. He shapes as a pretty good footy coach and uh, you wonder how long the Hawks will have him for. Um, All right. So we promised it spice. We're going to give you some spice. Um, Over the uh, course of the recruitment of Carl Amon, most Hawthorne supporters were pretty excited about getting him to the football club. There was one, well, there's probably a few dissenting voices, but one loud dissenting voice. It belonged to Mackenzie Morgan. Mackenzie is, along with Ross Lewis and Glenn Quartermain, I think the three one of the three biggest Hawthorne supporters based out of Western Australia. He is a former waffle footballer who has also spent a considerable amount of time as a punter in American college football. He and I have uh, sort of been exchanging uh, you know, friendly messages over the last uh, couple of years. I've been meaning to get him on the space as well, actually. Um, but fair to say he wasn't a big fan of Carl Amon coming to the football club. Sort of, in, I'm not sure whether it was uh, because he didn't think Hawthorne needed him or it was more the terms 
to which he under which he came to the club. Uh, that debate broke out again this week after Carl Amon played his best game for the footy club. So I thought it'd be worth getting McKenzie on, um, just to have a chat and say day and uh, get his side of the story on Carl Amon. Our very own Danny Prince, I think, has a polar opposite point of view about Amon, which we will get to as well. We're going to have what I hope is a friendly debate. We're a happy team at Hawthorne and a happy team at Hawkins side, as well as I like to keep it that way. But McKenzie, really good to have you on board. How's life over in Perth? Ah, mate, it's actually, you know, it's actually very, very good to be on here talking about the Hawks um, because there's not many Hawks supporters in WA and right now it's actually very good to live in WA because of the fact that now this is, there's a lot of layers to this, but the Eagles football, the West Coast Football Club, right, and their supporters are just, just so bad to deal with. Um it's it's unbearable. The paper here, the West Australian, you may as well just nickname it, you know, the West Coast Australian. Um, you know, Nat Fife won his second Brownlow the other year. He's the first Western Australian to ever do it. And on the free, front page, it was Free Willy and um, about Rioli's drug test ban. And Nat Fife wasn't on page until page three. So the fact that they're going through a bit of turmoil, you obviously don't want it to ever happen as bad as it's been. But it's um, it's actually quite peaceful here at the moment, you know what I mean? So it's, it's good. We'll get, it's good we'll get to you. Actually, I want to talk to you a bit about the, the, uh, how the West Australians feel about Harley Reid, maybe not going to West Coast, and gets you part of the discussion about what that might mean for Hawthorne. But let's get to the... Uh, let, let's not the lead any longer. You were very critical of the Carl Amon recruitment. Uh, uh, talk us through what your reservations were at the time and how you think he, he's gone this year. Yeah, so there's there's layers to this. Like I, in all honesty, I actually made a flippant comment about he wasn't worth 700k, and I stand by that. And there's been various tweets that suggested that people do actually agree with me. It's the fact that now we talk about salary cap salary cap floor that it's somehow deemed justifiable. Um, but my theory is this: is Mitchell Sam Mitchell knows where his bread is buttered, and he knows that his bread is buttered at the draft. Now, if you look at the Hawks' model right now, they have literally gone to the draft. And right now, if you follow the progression, we're at 2005, which is what Clarkson did. So right now, we're at 2005. Next year, we're at 2006. And then we're at 2007 from there. And then eight, you know, and then we were probably lucky to win it in 2008. Obviously, the list should have won in you know, 11 and 12. But we're probably lucky to win in, in 08. So Mitchell knows that going to the draft is his bread and butter. In 05, he traded out... Uh, Clarkson traded out Thompson and Hay. Um, so we got picks from that. Now, there was at no point, we got Guerra for biscuits. There was at no, we traded back for Crode and Freo paid a lot of his salary. There was at no point where we got anyone like Carl Amon for $700,000 a year. And that was my thinking of it, the whole thing. He got dropped last year at Port. He was nowhere near it for a large majority of the year at Port. Brownlow votes started to get involved with the conversation at one point about how good he was and he got, you know, finished, he was finished with 15 Brownlow votes. Some of the people, I made a flipping comment, I stand by it. Has he won us any more games this year than what we would have already won? No. Um, has he lost us games? No. Do I sit there and stand by my comment? Yes. Are people on, you know, people, I love when people start to reel out champion data. Champion data is literally the most overused and overused word in the whole of football. Um, North Melbourne are in the list position they're in because they literally drafted a champion data guy as their list manager, right? So how's that going? So my point with that is, is other than tackles inside 50, 
champion doesn't really, champion data doesn't really matter. And if you really want to go on champion data, Amon's had average possessions, above average kicks, below average tackles, below average a lot of things, right? If you want to go on meters gained, then you can. But meters gained, the turnover, you can kick at 50 meters, but if it goes 100 meters over your head, that's actually negative 50 meters gained. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to it. Um, also, champion data. Everyone comes out to me about champion data and Carl Amon and champion data. Champion data had one one team, right, in the 2010 period, like in the last 12 years. There's been one team that apparently, according to champion data, should have won on grand final day because their team was better, and that was Frio when they beat Haw- when they lost to Hawthorne in 2013. Now, Blind Freddy can tell you that that Hawthorne team was arguably the best team ever. You know what I mean? So. It, the, the champion data argument, when it comes out, I'm just like, whatever. So he's not worth 700K. And I think if it's a 10 out of 10 season, and Buddy, Buddy Franklin's season in 2008 was 10 out of 10, in all honesty, his season to this point has been a four. You know what I mean? So, And that's not bad. That's just the reality of it. You know what I'm saying? Do you... Um, so do you was your contention that that would have better off just play, getting games into... Uh, who, who would... If, if it was up to you last, and then we get to Prince in a sec to get his point of view because he's in the pro Kyle Amon camp, what would you have done? Would you have just sort of played another, played another kid? I would have played another kid and I would have played him on the wing. So what happens now with the wing spot is you have an offside and an onside winger and the onside winger plays at a stoppage. So you can play like Weddle and Cam McKenzie on the onside wing and play them at the stoppage. And then you can play someone as the offside winger. You know what I'm saying? So the fact that you can sit there and say, oh, he plays inside or outside doesn't matter because you can play one wing generally plays now in the AFL, plays at the stoppage anyway. So you could have got games in that way. You look at how good, you know, Ward and stuff have gone now this year after playing 15 games last year. Um, I think that uh, I went to watch Hawthorne play Frio and Josh Weddle's playing one out in the square on Walters. Now I understand that, um, Mitchell's obviously told him to go out. Like, he's not going to play on Walters for the rest of his career, but it's like, go out, learn a few tricks, learn out what's going on. And I think with someone like Amon coming in, you're actually negating the ability for Mitchell to be like, go and do that, go and play on the wing here, go and play X, Y, Z, you know what I'm saying? So that that was my point with that. I understand the salary cut floor situation, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we're here to win a flag. And if we're in 05 of the rebuild right now, and we were lucky to win it in 08, Time would suggest that he's not going to be there anyway. So that's my thinking on it. All right, that's really good. And lots of clarity there. Prinzi, you, uh, you as I said, you've, you've heard that you've uh, been a big supporter of Amon at the footy club. Just give us your perspective on his old recruitment, how he's got. Yeah, look, and I'll, I'll, I'll come out first and say, I'm not, I'm not a Carl Amon super fan or anything like that. I just think it's smart business is smart business. And that's... And that's where my point has been on this whole thing. And, and look, I can understand and respect uh, Mackenzie's point of view as well, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. I think maybe where we differ is that um, Mackenzie's talking about that we got Brent Guerra in for peanuts and he's right. We traded for Trent Crow, but the salary was paid in portion by Frio. That's, that's probably right too, from what I know. Um, when you're talking about list build, you're talking about the assets that you have to give up for people that you bring into the club, where our list is at the moment and where our salary cap is at the moment, $700,000 for Carl Amon, not giving up any draft capital, not um, jeopardizing the influx of young talent uh, to the club is, is a no brainer as far as I'm concerned. And I, I think 
the counter to the argument that um, he's taking up a spot, potentially Josh Weddle on the wing, Cam McKenzie on the wing. We can talk about individual situations. Um, I think Josh Weddle is being purposefully played behind the ball at the moment to give him exposure to, you know, the ability to watch a game from behind and see what's in front of him and play accordingly and just play on instinct. Uh, when you're a winger, you've got to run both ways. You've got to run hard both ways. You've got to work backwards. He, McKenzie knows that too. Um, but I think Carl, what he does is he first, he comes in and he's, he's straight away, he's our best winger. Straight away, he's our best wing option. Um, I don't think he keeps any young players out because I think if you have a look at the way that the season's panned out, there's been a Josh Ward on the wing or a Connor McDonald on the wing or, um, you know, Dylan Moore for periods of time or whoever it is uh, playing there. I think what he has done is he's kept Harry Morrison out of the team and he's kept guys like that who are good VFL players who can play solid minutes in, in a pinch for you at AFL level. And I think Carl Amon is definitely levels above that. So my, my positivity around the Carl Amon um, free agency selection is because it was a free agency selection. I think if you, and I've said this to Mackenzie, if you look at Carl Amon in an open market to all of the clubs around the AFL, Carl Amon's probably not worth $700,000 to a Collingwood or a Melbourne who have got lists in different list positions and who have got salary caps in different cap positions. But to somebody like the Hawks who have, you know, so much money to spend, front-ending a contract for Carl Amon to come in and be a really good club person to offer some experience and leadership to young Hawks and to be able to um, come in and play a role and show a, you know, a Josh Ward, how to play on a wing and how to be successful playing on a wing um, for $700,000 a year for a few years. That's, that's, that's nothing. And like I said, and what, where I keep going back to is the only thing we're doing is that we're, we're locking up one position out of 23 players on the field at any given time. If Sam Mitchell wants to play Cam McKenzie on a wing, he will find space for him on a wing. He's an inside midfielder, so I don't think you play him there anyway if you want to get the best out of him. If Ken, if Sam Mitchell wants to play Josh Weddle on a wing, he will find space and time for him on a wing. But I think with these young players, especially when they, they're on a long, long-term journey, you find places for them generally behind the ball or on a flank somewhere where they can learn their craft and contribute in different ways. That's what we've seen with Conor McDonald the last few years. We've seen it um, with Dylan Moore previous to that. And um, and I just don't see the negative side to bringing Carl Amon into this fo- football club in any way, shape or form. And, you know, I'm not even talking about salary cap floor or anything like that, uh, which is another another sort of one of my s- sub-reasons for being a Carl Amon uh, fan, supporter in terms of the, the bringing him in through free agency. So that's, Mara, that's you probably to... it. Mara, you want to add to this? Yeah, I sort of agree um, with both of you, actually. I think Prinzi makes some really good points. And, and Mackenzie, I agree. I don't think that Carl Amon has set the world on fire. The thing that you have to remember, though, is that you have to spend 93% of your salary cap. Someone has to get this money. Um, and and as Prinzi said, we're going to free agency. To get free agents, you have to kind of pay them a bit more than they're worth. Now, unless we have 93% of a footy team, like a really good footy team, then someone's getting a mismatch. So we're, we're below 93% of a team. We have to play 93% of the salary cap. By definition, someone's getting overpaid. 
and that's that's okay. We just have to live with that. So the money thing is is kind of irrelevant because we've got to pay someone. Okay, this is this is this is what was my actual also with the salary cap. This is why it became an issue for me in my mind in the first place. It it is relevant in the sense that my original concern with the Amon thing fifteen months ago when I heard from a source that I can't reveal that he was going to end up with the Hawks was. Um, if you're spending the money on that now, what are you going to spend it on in the future? And I was very cautious that we may make a mistake in the future off the back of paying. Does that make sense? Like the track record, oh, well, we paid Amon 700K, then are we going to give Ben Mackay 1.2 million? Does that make sense? Like that was my original comment. And it's obviously, um, you can't really convey that through a tweet. But my original thing was like, yeah, but we paid Amon 700K. That was, that was the original concern about the whole thing. I was like, what mistakes are we going to make in the so, future? So, if I'm trying to read between the lines, you're you're worried about setting a, a a negative benchmark for us going forward. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, yes, and I and I don't the recruiting staff. I'm not sure. Like in this post, since since we've had the new turnover in recruiting staff, and this is just me being cautious. Uh, I think that Mark McKenzie is actually very switched on. I think he's I think he's a very good re- recruiter. Um, but I just they don't have the runs on the board yet for me to be like. I fully, I fully back him in. You get what I'm saying? And I thought that, man, if we're paying him 700K right now, Carl Amon, are we going to really go and pay a Ben Mackay $1 million? Like, is this where it's going to go? And then I was like, this is going to be an absolute nightmare. It's going to be a shit show. So that was part of ex- what you said then and then what I've just said now is I was concerned. Um, and to, to, be, to his credit, Amon probably hasn't been as bad as what I thought. Has he been set the world on fire? No, but like that was my original concern with the money spent and the benchmark set. And then I obviously they don't have enough runs on the board right now for me to fully trust it. Mackenzie, that, that that's great. Now a couple of people said we should move on from this. We're getting, we are going to talk about Brody Grundy in a second as well because that's the other big debate. Yeah, go on. Happen. Yeah, Brody's a good fella. But we're going to get. But um, Mick. Always value your opinion. Good evening. Go, Ash. Guys, just to let you know, this question came up at the Inside the Huddle night too. And Sam was very clear saying they expect him to play to 34, 35. So they're looking they – sort of, and Sam said, Isaac, think of Isaac Smith, outside player. Um, so I think as a longer-term investment, you might be getting sort of a front-ended first contract, so to speak, because I don't think anybody would pick him up at – you know, 32 or 33, uh, 31, 32 when he, this contract finishes. Um, and the other aspect I think with him is he'll play better when we get better. We'll get better value when those younger blokes make better decisions and run to the right places. I agree with that. Um, you look at that kick, you remember against GWS, we just lobbed it over the square to the, the Ford 50. And even Gary Lyon made a point of, you know, being kick of the week. Um, that's the thing. And, you know, yeah. Everyone's got opinion about every player. No one's yeah. right, no one's wrong. You know, it's just yeah. a question of opinion. Yeah. There's been games this year where he's gone really quiet. It's almost as if you forget, like, he's hardly had a touch recorder. It's like, oh, Amon's playing, that's right, because he goes missing. But, I mean, Saturday, or Sunday was his best game of the year by a mile. But everything to do with last Sunday should be prefaced by saying, I played these North. Words, it was only against North who were truly terrible. But he was a class above. Yeah, he he did what the hell he liked out there last week, and the goal, and they showed the uh, the, the footage of um, on one of the TV shows. Um, he, he's he's work. I think Kane Cornhole, his work rate 
to get uh, for the back line to to run through and that long goal, I think, in the third quarter. So I think, and, just, know, and, yeah. and, and the Giants game last week, played, well, maybe he's taken two-thirds of the season. He's, he's done coming his groove now. I mean, Richmond on Saturday, the MCG, if he plays well on Saturday, he goes Richmond the MCG, which is why they got him. They got him to play, you know, to play well in the MCG. That's why he's at the footy club. That maybe uh, that maybe this will start to look like a, a, a really good piece of recruiting. And since the buy, they've pushed him to half back too. That's the other thing. And Weddle did end up on the wing at times on Sat on Sunday. Um, so yeah, I think they're sort of mixing, mixing and matching the last six weeks potentially. Yeah, I think it's a bit, yeah. a fair degree yeah. of that. Uh, Mick, that was great. Thank you for that, Mackenzie. Hang around because we're going to now get to the other topic that we've debated on our Substack this week is. Brody Grundy. Now, uh, Hawthorne have at the moment four Ruckman, I think, on the list. Is it four or five? They've got... Uh, it's technically five. Technically five. Uh, Lynch is as good as retired. He won't be on the list next year. Um, but every club will be having the conversation, what could we do with Brody Grundy next year? It's highly unlikely he'll end up at Hawthorne. I think that... Uh, I don't think he'll be at Melbourne next year, but I think he'll be at, uh, you know, he'll end up at Geelong. Port Adelaide. Like that, Port Adelaide. Or, well, I'm not sure he'll go to Port Adelaide. I think he's very, very settled in Melbourne. He really likes the Melbourne lifestyle. I'm not 100% convinced he could go home. Yeah, I could be wrong, of course, but I think he'll look for a Victorian club before he looks for a, uh, a move back to South Australia. But it's fun to do the exercise about should we get him to Hawthorne. Um, Mora, you wrote a very good piece on Substack with the, the, the yes argument. Uh, just give us a quick uh, pricey of why Hawthorne should think about rolling the dice. Well, that's the thing. I don't think it is rolling the dice. I think you're getting a known quantity. He's an outstanding ruck. He still is an outstanding ruck. You just have to look back at the games when Max Gordon was injured and he got to be the main ruck for Melbourne and he, he was brilliant for the three weeks of the year. Um, it, it, it's astounding to me that there's even a no argument. Like in any other context, there wouldn't be one. If Brody Grund is available, you take him. He's an amazing ruckman. He has been for a while. He was the best and fairest in Collingwood's grand final year. Yeah, his record speaks for itself. The only sort of argument against is that it maybe it stifles the development or it doesn't fit with our list profile. But the simple fact is, you bring him in, and our you know our our forecast that we might make finals in twenty five might become 24. It's certainly not going to become 26. He's yeah. going to make our team better. And the fact that he's a bit older is is fine. I mean, we're, we're crying out for some leadership and experience, to be honest. And he, he's not going to... He, I don't think he's going to stifle the development of, of a ruck. I mean, he had Jared Witts playing under him for the first couple of years of his career, and he eventually won that. Jared Witts was stuck in the VFL. And... He went to a different club and became amazing almost instantly because, you know, just not playing in the first team doesn't necessarily just destroy your career. So if we think that um, Reeves and or Meek is definitely soon going to become league leading or a top echelon Ruckman, then don't do it. But I don't think that – I don't have that – ironclad confidence. So get him in and and he can teach them. Danny, a quick summary of what you said, and I want to get Brad and Mackenzie's views on this. 
Yeah, look, I, I think Brody Grundy's a very good footballer, and I think Mora's point is is absolutely right that he would make us a much better football team in the immediate term. So if the Hawks were to turn around and say uh, we're going to recruit Brody Grundy, I'm not going to kick up a fuss saying we should we shouldn't do that. I just think that we're on a bit, of, and this is semi contradictory to the Carl Amon situation, but um, it's slightly different in my mind because of the position that Brody Grundy plays and because of the issues that we've already seen with trying to fit two rucks into an AFL team. Um, I think that Brody Grundy is a short-term solution and we're on a long-term journey. And I think that even though he would make us a much better football team next year and um, in 2025, like, like Morris said, and could bring our window to making the finals, bring it forward. Um, I guess my question is, do we want to do that if the rest of our list isn't quite ready for it? Um, and uh, and also, the, the, you talk, Murray, you talked about um, Jared Witts and the fact that it didn't stifle him, but the argument is that it absolutely did, and it was only when he was given the opportunity to be first ruck at the Gold Coast did he really <clears throat> become the AFL player that he is now. Um, so my concern would be, Choking there, nobody needed to hear me cough. But my concern would be that um, we currently work trying to work out whether um, it's Reeves or Meek that are going to be our number one ruck going forward. If we bring in Grundy, the competition that Reeves and Meek have at AFL level now, they'll be having at Box Hill. And that's a lesser competition with lesser ruckmen to come up against. And I just don't see the benefit for them long term. Uh, Brad, you got a view? Uh, it's a really tough one. I know I said on Saturday, on, on Sunday, uh, watching the game was in the heat of the moment. Give me Brody Grundy for three years and let uh, Ramson uh, develop in the VFL because I'd seen enough of uh, Reeves and Meek. But Grundy's 29. I thought he was only 27, but he's already 29. You know, he's probably only got at the high, you know, he's probably only got, I'd say, two or three more years at the highest uh, level of his game. I don't think Hawthorne's going to be challenging for a flag in the next two to three years. So um, I agree with some of uh, Mora's points, but I think where our list is at at the moment, uh, Reeves and Meeker both played less than 30 games. Ramsden, I know we're all uh, bullish on, you know, he's going to obviously take a bit more time at Box Hill. Uh, I'll probably lean against it at the moment, but I do see the arguments in bringing him in because if he comes into our club, uh, uh, tomorrow, he's playing as the number one uh, ruck, and he's a quality player. I absolutely love him. Um, I know Brody. I've spoken to him quite a few times. He's a great guy, bit of a different uh, character, uh, but great for culture. Players really love him. I know he really wanted to stay at the buys, and I know they wanted to keep him there as well. It's just obviously with uh, the salary, they had to get him out. So he'd be great for the culture of the club, but. Um, when it all comes, you know, final our decision, I'd be leading to no. All right, Mackenzie, got a view on Brody Grundy? To be honest with you, I don't think that... Um, I think history suggests that having a dominant ruckman doesn't really... doesn't really... Like, it can help, but it's not the be-all and end-all whether your ruck's good or not. Um, if, we were, if you're a year closer to winning a flag, yeah, you'd 100% jump at it. I'm not sure... 
you, to be honest with you, if you get him, you get him. If you don't, you don't. Like, uh, how much is he on? Does anyone know? Well, he's paid by multiple clubs, so who knows? But I think it's like nine hundred. I think it's like nine hundred thousand a year. Of which Collingwood is yeah. paying loads. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think the D's are paying much of that at all. He's getting more than Carl Amon, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you'd be, pay, you'd be paying him less, though, somehow that works out. I don't know how that works, but every, everyone and all 18 teams are paying him. Um, I, don't, I don't know. But I really don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I think if we got him and we were paying 300k, I wouldn't really. I'd be like, whatever. Is the fact, I, don't really, I honestly don't. I don't think the rucks really matter too is, much, to be is honest. Is the fact we're having this conversation only... mean that generally there's uh, a disappointment in both. Meek and Reese this year, or are we forgetting that they both disregard them? No, nah, man, I think a relatively young. I, I think that Ned Reese is so far off it that it's not even funny. Like, I think that Meek, if he was our number one ruck and like everyone was going well, I think you know he'd be handy because I think that like Nankervis was probably oh Nankervis is a bad example, but. You know, Ben McAvoy was good up forward, but wasn't necessarily the best ruckman going around. I think if they can play forward and play in the ruck competently, I think they're worth their weight in gold as a ruckman. Um, and I think once they hit the ground, I think if like Meek's good on the ground, I think if they hit the ground well, it's good. But I don't think I think Reeves is so far off it. I think if he, you're as you're as bad as what Reeves is right now, we're going to struggle. You know what I mean? Like then they need to be um, handy on the ground and around the ground. Well, you see, how depressing is this? Uh, yeah, it's depressing because we built them both <laughs> up at the start of the season and, and certainly the six months before in terms of Reeves. But again, I mean, they're both, what, 24 years old and we know that that ruck don't peak till, what, 20, generally 27, around to the 27? Yeah, 27, 28. Yeah, and obviously there are exceptions, so... Um, the thing we forget in the Grundy salary debate is the only reason it worked out for Collingwood only having to pay X amount is because we're paying X amount of Tom Mitchell's salary. So uh, it's it's somewhat uh, a Melbourne and then Collingwood, sorry. So so it somewhat balances out um, in terms of that, that salary spread. You're going to have to pay him a fair bit, Um I feel like he would instantly make us better. I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, like. I, I, I'm not wedded to the idea of having him, but if we got him, I probably wouldn't complain. Um, I just uh, it wouldn't worry me if we didn't. So um, I just I, thought, I, oh, no, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say I still think you know we need to give Meek a few games as the sole ruckman because he looks like. He has a much better all-round game as a pure ruck, not just the tap work that Reeves has. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see him get a few games by himself um, and give him that opportunity. But again, they're both 24 years old. So uh, the, the only other thing is we talked about um, we talked about Wits making it at a better club. The other potential issue is they're not necessarily... Meek and, Grunt, Meek and Reeves going to fight it out at Box Hill. At some point, if they're both at Box Hill for three years behind Grundy, one of them or both of them are potentially going to leave. And if it is one of them, who knows if it's the right one. Um, so Meek's 25, sorry. 
25 years old, sorry. So, I mean, that's the other potential issue, that if we are going to be counting on one of these two and putting time and effort into them, bringing someone like Grundy could drive one of them away. The new reality for Ruckman is they change clubs all the time. Ruck, so they're like backup quarterback to the NFL. That's, you've got your handful of stars or one-club players, but so many Ruckman and so many sort of half-decent Ruckman AFL have been to two, three, four clubs. And look at Phillips at... at um, Look at Tom Hickey, look at Phillips at Essendon. They, they, they've played for multiple clubs. Uh, Mackenzie, before we let you go, I just want to get the mood of, over there in Perth. Are they, are they, is their attitude uh, just to the, amongst the fans and what you're reading in the media? Say that last part again, sorry. Draft reader, uh, regardless, or should they try and do a deal? Uh, <laughs> I think... Um... They're all coming out now and saying, you know, there's draft tampering that Reed's come out and said he wants to, um, you know, potentially, or the, the management's come out and said that he wants to potentially stay at home. But they forget that, you know, Cochin did that in 2007. So I don't know what they're talking about. But um, uh, I, it's actually the best thing that's ever happened for us, for example. I, if they would have had to have given, if they, Dan Curtin out of WA is their best chance. Like they should, they should split the pick and get him with pick two or three. Um and then they would get five. Like let's say if they got three and five, they'd, they'd still get a second rounder for next year or a second rounder this year. But now that um, now that Reed's come out, Reed's actually done us a favour, the management, and they've essentially forced the hand. So now they're the pick, the value of pick one is actually gone down the gurgler a bit because Reed's also forced his hand. So we could almost, we could honestly almost give up pick three, Brockman. And a, and a late second rounder maybe to get up there, whereas you would have had to have given away two first before and Brockman. Like, that's the reality of it. That's how high, highly regarded he is. Um, and they wouldn't have given the pick up. So now he's sort of forced their hand. So whoever trades for that pick, um, Reed's management's done them a huge favour. And they may have done it tactically, man. Like, they may have done it tactically to, to ensure that they, the deal can get done easier. Prinji, this is your wheelhouse. What, what, what do you think the live land is at the moment? And, and what's, where's, is Hawthorne sort of behind teams like GWS and Melbourne that, that have been reported to be in the front running for Reid? Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, if cards, everybody's best hands on the table, we probably can't come up with the best offer. Um, but, you know, it depends, on, it depends on what clubs are willing to give up. And I think Mackenzie makes a really good point. Like, um, just because those... Uh, deals could be put on the table doesn't mean they will be. For instance, Melbourne have got Frio's pick, what it'll be, four, five or six, something like that. Um, would they be willing to give up that pick and their first round pick um, to move up, you know, to pick one, possibly? Or they might just be like, well, you know, we can replenish our talented youth by taking somebody like Zane Dersma and a key position player like Conor O'Sullivan and we're in a better list shape going forward with those young players on rookie rookie scale deals. So, um, you know, it, it's it's really hard to know, you know, what clubs are willing to, to put on the table now for Harley Reid. Um, I think that the Hawks would definitely be sniffing around, um, absolutely be sniffing around. I think if I'm West Coast, I'd probably just take him anyway and deal with the issue. Um, and try and convince him. But there's plenty of examples. I mean, I saw the Mackenzie and I were commenting on Will Schofield's shockingly ridiculous video what an idiot. that he posted Seriously. this <laughs> afternoon on Twitter. Like, what a joke. Um, 
He's a he's a, talk about WA media, mate. He is an absolute. But he up. didn't mean all of that straight out. No, like he was taking the PI double fives. Yeah. No, that's the problem is, man. Here they drink their own bathwater and they believe everything they say. It's ridiculous. I'm telling you. Um, hey, just just on the just on the read thing. Sorry, the Eagles, if they're going to trade the pick, and this is take it as gospel, they're going to have to be sure that they're going to get Daniel Curtin. Yeah, they would have. And to. the lay of the land is probably. It's going to be Reed, Walter, Watson, Watson Curtin, or maybe Curtin Watson. Does that make yeah. sense? So it's it's going to have to be one, pick three or four. Then it'd have to be us or North if they want if they want yeah, to guarantee 100%. Curtin because um, yeah, Gold Coast are going to take uh, Jed uh, Jed Walter at two. He's going to be bid on in the first two or three, and then the next two live picks will be probably Watson and Curtin. So no, I, I yeah. agree with that. I think we're in the box seat in terms of if you're really looking at what West Coast want to do if they do split the pick, which is take WA talent. Um, but, you know, I think I, th- I think maybe it potentially actually gives us an opportunity. I think you'd, you'd probably be looking at Brockman, our first, and maybe Denver, Denver Granger Barras in order to get it done um, if they're willing to give up on Granger Barras. Um, but, you know, you're talking about a gener- potentially generational talent. And, you know, exactly the type of player that Hawthorne's midfield is actually missing because the young midfield that the Hawks have is incredible and we love it. And they're, but they're workmanlike, they're hardworking and there's, there's not enough X factor and real game breaking ability in there. You've got Will Day and that's probably about it. Um, so I think, you know, somebody like a Harley reader, even I'm, I'm very, very bullish on, on Zane Dersma. I think um, either of those two would, have the potential to come in and have a very important role in a Hawthorne midfield going forward. Uh, these are very interesting times. We'll be debating this sort of trade and Harley Reid for a while. It also seems to be a bit of a, uh, a bit of resignation that uh, Brockman is going. So, which is, uh, you know, uh, you know the, he, he can be a very exciting player, but I don't think if the end game was to get Harley Reid, as much as we've enjoyed uh, Tyler Brockman, when number 33 at Hawthorne this year, I don't think there'd be too many people uh, would be too upset if that's the end result. Ash, I think... But, but Ash, Yeah, I was just going to say that I think the only reason there's resignation about Brockman is because how often does it get to this stage of the season and then a player re-sign with the club that they're at if they haven't already signed? So um, I think people are just reading the tea leaves and going, well, you know, he looks like he's on his way out because if he was committed, he probably would have committed by now. Uh, yep. The only other question is, if you're West Coast, why aren't you walking him into the preseason draft anyway? Well, there's that possibility. And as I said on the space last week, I have a friend who uh, works for West Coast and um, we were having a conversation and he sort of just DM'd me to sort of ask some questions about uh, Brockman and then he did say, uh, you yeah, know, they could walk into the preseason draft as well. So there is that. Because you have the, well. this, with the, they couldn't walk Reid. Is that what you're saying? No, Brockman. Sorry. No, they could say, well, we don't want Brockman as part of the deal. It's got zero value to us because we can just get him to nominate for the preseason draft and take mm-hmm. him pick one. That is the, that's what happened yeah. with Luke McFarlane and uh, why he was an enemy part of the deal with the whole complicated trade draft picks in 2001 because there was always a threat of the preseason draft. So in the end, Hawthorne did the deal to include him in the trade that obviously worked out very well in the end because Hawthorne ended up both Hodge and Mitchell. Uh, uh, did, did, did Nick so. Stevens do that as well, maybe? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, so it's been, no, a, bit of, the, been a bit of that as well. 
The problem is, though, is uh, this is the best result for a team like North Melbourne or Hawthorne, and we, this is my last comment about it, but unfortunately for West Coast, fortunately for us, and fortunately for my mindset, mindset here in Perth, Reed has forced their hand. Like their management has forced the hand. So like they're almost. It's not even if you draft him, he's like, well, I'm going to leave after a year anyway, and then I might not even play. And then secondly, on top of that, you have to sort of take what you're given now. Whereas they were literally going to get three first round picks, and now yeah. it's like now they're probably going to get two. You know what I mean? Or like, you know, a Brockman, a Granger, Brass, and a pick two or pick three. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's they've actually done the team like North and Hawthorne a favour. Well, we'll see, how, we'll see how it shakes out. Mackenzie, it's been wonderful to have you on board. Uh, Pleasure. We'll get you on again, I'm sure, before too long. It's, it's great having you. Send the best to all the WA Hawks out there. So, no worries, uh, mate. Thanks for having enjoy me. Enjoy everything. We'll talk to you again soon. Um, that's the news out of the Hawks. Is the AFLW draw is out? Then we're going to get to the questions after that. We've got plenty of them, so and observations. Um Finding old draw for the Hawks in the AFLW. They start the season against Essendon. Four home games at Frankston, the first of which will be in round one against the Bombers. They play the Bulldogs in Ballarat. They play Frio in Perth. They play Melbourne and the Lions back in Frankston. Their only game, if, if you don't count Frankston as Metropolitan Melbourne, and there are some who say it is and some who say it isn't, their only game in Metropolitan Melbourne for the entire season is on Saturday, 7th of October. They play St Kilda at Moorabbin at RSEA Park. Otherwise, they're following that Sydney in Sydney, uh, Richmond in Cairns, Port Adelaide at um, Frankston, and then the season finishes against Geelong. Date and time to be confirmed. We assume that'll be at Cadinia Park. So that's the 10-game season. We are really just treading water, I think, a little bit for the Hawks in terms of really being able to get, you know, really be able to brace them and enjoy watching them because it'll be 2024, 2024 hopefully, they'll be playing out of Dingley um, at uh, Patrick Malone Stadium. But that until then, it's going to be a bit of, unless you, Frankston's not too, unless Frankston's not too much of a slip for you, it's going to be very, very hard to watch a lot of games this year, um, um, Boise. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, you just got to put it in perspective, as you said, and that um, eventually we'll be at Dingley, we'll have that that base and that home ground advantage and um, that's, the, that's the long game. So it's a bit unfortunate. There are quite a few... Um, 305 matches though so it's at a pretty good time from a family point of view in terms of kids wanting to watch not that many night games um so that i guess is a bit of a positive and um you know any, anyone that's been to any of the hawks aflw games knows that um actually at the venue it's it's pretty well done in in terms of it being a bit of a carnival and a pretty good family fun day out so when you put all of that into perspective having those games at frankston for a year isn't that bad and it's at a time that makes it family friendly as well so um i think when you piece that all together um whilst it's not an exceptional uh draw you you just uh, need to we just need to deal with it and, and get to as many games as we can to support them. Uh, 
Prinzi, we had a question about Will's A that I've momentarily misplaced. So can you tell what the question was and we'll throw yeah, it Yeah, absolutely. So it was a question from Wok. I think it was from our player ratings pod, which was a massive hit, Ash, um, just quietly. Um, it was Will Day. Bang. <laughs> it was Will Day is currently a top what player. I've taken a week off work to listen to it, <laughs> by the way. It was that Will Day is currently a um, what number player, best player in the competition, say the end of this year, and then at the end of next year, what number best player in the competition will he be? So, i.e., he's in the best 50 players at the end of this year, he's in the best 20 players at the end of next year. Uh, that was the question I think Wok wanted uh, probably your humble opinion, Ash, on this um, with your inside knowledge of the AFL. Uh, well, I would say right now he would be uh, he'd be borderline top fifty in the competition, um, but he's trending very nicely. Whereas last year he would have been the top two hundred players in the competition. He's rocketed in, into the top fifty, and if he continues at this pace by next year, he'll be top twenty. What ha- what ha- tends to happen is a lot of we see this in a lot of we see this in the Brownlow sometimes is that the recognition and the All Australian the recognition comes twelve months later, so there'll be some judges who'll put him into the top 50 this year. And even if he doesn't improve at the same rate next season, that'll he'll nevertheless jump into the top 20 because he'll be doing it again. So that's what I would say at the moment. I don't think, you know, I think Hawthorne, if you look at when the various top 50 players in the competition lists come out at the end of the season, Mark Robinson is sort of the most famous. There might be one or two others. I would say there'd be only two Hawthorne players likely to figure, and that will be Sicily and uh, Will Day. You could make some would make the case for John Newcomb, and his numbers stack up pretty well. But really, if we're being objective about this, Sicily and Day are probably the only two players in that conversation. Day did tell us on his on the podcast he did with us that he set himself to make the All Australian squad. Be fascinated to see whether he gets there, and I think both Sicily and Day could make that squad. At this stage, I would expect neither to make the team, however. The, um, the other thing, Ash... Yeah, I, I just think the other thing to consider, um, Prinzi and I spoke about it on, on what was one of the um, most listened to pods from the Hawks Insiders this year, our review pod, on the weekend. Uh, we talked about the fact that um, Wills had um, managed and limited minutes in the middle, like he's obviously getting midfield time, but he's still playing quite a bit um, across halfback flank. And, and and the difference from now to him potentially going to a top 20 or top 10 player in the comp is, are we actually going to get to see a season of him playing 80 or 90% of every game as the gun midfielder and that might actually be the difference to answering that question with the incredible talent we've got through our midfield and the rotation that's going on uh yeah i think that could be the defining factor as to how quickly he could become you know a top 10 player in the comp all right i'm gonna have some questions then on debations i'm gonna read them out and throw them around the panel for some comments um Ivan, so after the read chat, if we get Grundy, it gives flexibility to potentially add a tool to any deal. Nick Nat is cooked and Williams is a forward, not a ruck. So does Reeves, DGB and pick three get it done for pick one, especially as Barras will end up in Sydney. Brad? What was the deal Reeves, DGB, 
And, and Cook, pick three for pick one to West Coast. Reeves, DGB, and pick... Uh, it's a lot to give up. I would I would do it just because I don't think uh, Reeves is going to make it. Uh, I like DGB. I think he still has potential. But as Prinzi uh, mentioned before, and I've spoken about this, we've drafted really well over the last few years with our top-end talent in the midfield. Will Day can become that type of player, but um, I think a retype. We need that Petrarca Bond type of explosive player in the midfield, and Harley Reid's probably going to be that player. So I would do that deal, yes. Okay. Ivan's also said uh, we should be going for Brody Grundy. In my in IMO, in my opinion, big time, yes. Uh, well, noted. Thanks, Ivan. Doc so hoping we get to see some of Cooper Stevens and Hussway in the seniors before the end of the year for Ned Long and Sarong as well, to be fair. Maybe some mids get some late season rest. Seems we're not participating. Seems we're not participating in finals. Well, that's not going to be the case. What, what do you think about that, uh, Mora? What was the second half of that? Maybe some Ned Long and Sarong as well in the seniors, to be fair, because some mids, <laughs> maybe some mids should get some rest <laughs> later in the season to mix the team up a bit. Yeah, I think this is the time to do that. Um, in particular, I want to see Ned Long just because I think he has a slightly different dimension to our midfield, which would be really good. Um, and you know, I'm not really one for giving games for the sake of it, but by all accounts, um, Husway is has earned a spot. So I'd, I'd love to see him. And if he is as uh, composed and classy as they say it is, uh, as they say he is, then um, yeah, I think our midfield could really use that. Amon Keith Bramble. This is Hawk Twelve. Amon Keith Bramble and Morrison out of the team, which is good because neither of those two are going to be in the team come finals next. Amon has more footy now than those. To combined, I'm sure you agree with that. Danny, uh, Doc Mandel, 100% agree. Play one Ruckman, please. I think um, Brad might be talking to that in his um, selection section which comes out tomorrow. From Wok, Amon's been great. He makes inside mids better. And realistically, he's only holding out Morrison or Bramble. Yes, we've made that point already. Um, and for Mick Bramble, Morrison, big out for Amon. And they see Amon has been sympathised actually, still playing at 34, 35. From Wok, Take, Nick's, take Nick Watson with pick three. Trade players and picks to get points in this draft. CJ, future second, future third. This year's third, Wingard, to trade up and get Gold Coast first round pick and then take Caddy. Will McKay, father, son. Dan, did you get yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually know what he's, what, what he's talking about here. So <clears throat> where, the, where there's opportunity this year is um, with the Western Bulldogs first round pick and the Gold Coast Suns first round pick. Why that is, is obviously because Jed Walter is a top three player in this draft, probably number two behind Harley Reid. So their picks are going to get eaten up by any bid on on Walter. And the Western Bulldogs, kissed as they are, um, have uh, Matthew Croft's son um, coming through as another key position tool because they don't have enough of those, um, who is looking like he'll be a top 10 to 15 talent. So the theory on the on that is that both those first round picks will be up for grabs for people that can give those clubs enough points um, that it makes it beneficial for them. Uh, and this is where the point system really comes into it. Uh, and it really only has its relevance is, is if you can create a package that gives these clubs more points, you can actually get a much more valuable single asset. Uh, and the Hawks should definitely be trying to get one extra pick in if they can ahead of a bid for Will McCabe. So, um, yep, I, I, I like that. I mean, I've got some reservations. I, Nick Watson is an incredible talent. Like if he was 
182 centimetres and not 170 centimetres, he would probably be right up there with um, Harley Reid as the as the number one pick in this draft. He is he is phenomenal. They, I mean, Cal Toomey's dubbed him the wizard for a reason. Uh, he does special, special things on the football field. Um, but how many 170 centimetre guys have you seen be absolute jets at AFL level? Obviously, there's um, the exception to the rule, and maybe Watson is that, but it's a big risk to take that high in the draft. So um, I, I don't know if I would do that, but maybe the Hawks... I've, I've heard, actually, that the Hawks are incredibly bullish on um, Nick Watson, that they very, they really, really like him. He's an Eastern Rangers product. He's been down at the Hawks in preseason for training. Um, so, you know, maybe that is an option. Um, and then I'm a big fan of Nate Caddy. If we get a pick, another pick in around the sort of eight to ten to twelve, he's 192 centimeters, so he's not a pure key position forward. Um, but he's the, I think he's the cousin or the nephew of uh, Josh Caddy. Uh, but the, I'd have to think very, very hard about backing for uh, Caddy. He, he can <laughs> he can seriously play though, Ash. Like uh, this guy has kicked bags at a, at NAB league or Coates League level. He's kicked bags um, at national championship level. Uh, he just knows how to kick goals. And at 192 centimetres, he can also run through the middle. So, you know, a little bit like um, how the Bulldogs or the Dons do that with Jake Stringer, um, but hopefully without the off-field issues. Uh, so, yeah, look, I, I like that as, a, as an idea. Bring your uncle's data to bring your uncle to trading, they'll be interesting. Yeah, just, just uh, everyone can I'd line like him up and smash him. Josh. <laughs> Will, this is my uncle Josh. Do you remember him? Ash, you'd draft him just to, um, just to make him play out his career at Bucks Hill, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> From Patrick, you know I'm saying, but bringing on Dingley and the Box Hill redevelopment, please. Yes, Hawthorne definitely needs Dingley finished and, and the redevelopment of Box Hill for uh, AFLW purposes. Uh, Whitey wants to know why is Reed being charged, or why is Reed not being charged with John tapping more to the point? Well, the draft is becoming more and more shambolic by the year if players can dictate where they do and don't want to go from the start. But it's the world we live in, Hawthorne, and all the other clubs need to adapt to it. Um, for Mick, Cherry didn't want to go to Freer nor Ben King to the Suns and are staying. Um, yeah, and Harley Reed might be. Might just get to West Coast and fall in love with the place. And Will Schofield, I mean, he, he, I didn't see the video that you're all talking about. Will Schofield, perfect example. He moved to West Coast. Uh, for, he was a Geelong boy through and through. He moved to West Coast, fell in love with the place. I mean, Xavier Ellis moved to Perth to finish his career, to finish his career with West Coast, and there's hardly ever Ash, set foot in Melbourne ever since. Ash, can I, can, can I just people. counter that? Adam Chera is now at Carlton, so. It's hardly stayed at Fremantle. Uh, he's been he, he requested a trade back home to Carlton. So yeah. and and if you believe the reports, Ben King may not be long for for the Gold Coast either. So um, yeah. I think I don't think any of the legend wants Damien Hardwick becomes coach. Uh, for Mick Day has more flexibility for other positions than some of the other mids. I agree. Doc play one Ruckman um, and Mick Watson is Grundy a leader. Uh, I think he's a culture setter if nothing else. That's been the feedback for this week. Thank you very, very much. Hawthorne v Richmond, the MCG, Saturday afternoon, 1.45, a rare Red Sharon Saturday afternoon game for the Hawks. Uh, it is a member replacement game, so there'll be plenty of brown and gold, certainly, I would imagine, at the Ponsford stand end of the ground, um, which will be good. Uh, it's the first time for the season the Hawks have played consecutive games 
in Victoria, believe it or not. That's what the season's been like. And actually, a lot of us are looking forward to settling into the rest of the season and watching a lot of the team in person, as I, a point I made last week. Brad, very quickly, just a big preview of Selective Dissection tomorrow. Have you got the axe out? No, don't have the axe out. I think there'll only be a couple of changes. I think Meek will get omitted. Uh, I'd rather drop uh, Reeves and give uh, Meek a run in, in uh, the ruck. Soldo's not a great ruck. Um, I think Blank and Seamus Mitchell will come back. So two defenders, as I mentioned before, I think Frost can play that backup ruck position. Um, but we've seen in the last few weeks, Mitchell has been giving the younger players a bit of a rest. So I think Josh Weddle may get a rest this week. It'll be good to see, as we mentioned, um, a Cooper Stevens or a Ned Long get a run or even Henry Why would you rest Josh Weddle? That is the silliest thing I've ever heard. Why would you rest Josh Weddle? He's got the tank for it. He played so well last week. Why would you then just rest him this week? He's young. He's the future of our club, Ash. And I think he has played a lot of, probably a lot more footy than he would have expected to play in his first season. Seamus got a rest uh, last week. Watch the space for the next couple of weeks because I do believe Weddle is going to get managed. Yes, uh, I'll I'll, I'll bet you a McCafe coffee at our place of five that uh, Weddle doesn't get rested uh, before the rest of the season. I think he thrives on, I think he thrives on playing. And uh, I'm taking him that coach. The coach said to him, in fact, this week, I would like to see Weddle rub with Dusky for a quarter or two uh, to see how he goes. Everyone with me on that, Prinzi? Yeah, go for it. I mean, he's played on all the other good gun players in the competition. So Charlie Charlie Cameron, Charlie Kernow, uh, Michael Walters. Why not Dusty as well? And look, physically, you could actually go with him. So it's not it's not a... Yeah, yeah, absolutely not a bad, not a bad shout. Why not? I mean, if we're talking about um, player development, young player development, give him the give him all the jobs. Winning's not the priority this year, so you may as well. And he can give him a jab in the ribs with the elbow as well. You know, they're playing next week, so it's not a problem. Hundred percent true. Um, does anybody give Hawthorne a chance? They want to take thirty seconds to finish up to state the case for Hawthorne being wishing this week. Yeah, look, I actually think we're a shot. Um, I don't think the Tigers are going too well. They only sort of just got over West Coast last week. Um, They don't have uh, Tom Lynch, I think, for the rest of the year. Um, Jack Rewalt's kind of just going. Uh, We're coming off the back of a semi-decent performance. It's not out of the round. I think all all results are on the table this weekend in terms of a Hawks win, um, a Tigers close win or the Tigers could absolutely put their foot on our throats and uh, we could fold like a deck of cards. So um, I think I think it, anything's anything's a chance this week. I actually reckon the Richard game last year, if, you know, I'm not saying Hawthorne tanked, but I reckon the Richard game last year, correct me if I'm wrong, was that Sicily played in the midfield despite the fact yeah. that Lynch was just absolutely carving the Hawthorne up in the back line but Mitchell refused to move Sicily in the back line. Yeah, it was. I think Lynch kicked eight in the first three quarters and then finally Sicily went back in the last quarter and Lynch uh, didn't uh, touch the ball. I think Sicily had like 35 touches. He had like 30 in the midfield in the first three quarters and then they put him back in the last. So, yeah, that was a bit of a tank game. I think it was a bit of a tank game, but uh, they they didn't pick the optimal team that particular game. There was one game last year that I thought was soft. It was a Richard game last year. So, I think it'll be quite close. I think we should probably find us a way to to win the 
you know, Cotchard or Rewald will do, you know, do something spectacular at the end to get him over the line. But I actually think Hawthorne will be super competitive in that game. I think that is it. We've done about 11 minutes over than we normally do, but uh, I think it's been full of uh, full of content. We see any housekeeping before we go? No, I think that uh, we'll continue pumping out the articles. We picked it up this week. Uh, there's a uh, few good things coming up, including some more Golden Years revisited uh, episodes over the next few weeks. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah, I think we've pretty much covered it all, Ash. All right. Well, we th- thank you, everybody, for this Waterfalls Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year on the Substack for great Hawthorne content. We will go Wednesday night again next week. Uh, I think the Matildas are playing again next Thursday. So we thank everyone for hanging around tonight and doing it. And uh, so we can all sit back and enjoy the game tomorrow night. Um, yeah, so we'll hopefully see as many of you at the footy on Saturday. The pod will be out. The review pod will be out by Sunday night, Monday morning, as well as our review article. Um, I think that is about all for now. So thanks, everyone, for joining. It was a lot of fun tonight. Great content, great discussion, great debate. And I think the uh, and a few good ideas thrown forward as well, a lot, of that, a lot of which we will continue to follow up over the next few weeks. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll see you at the MCG on Saturday. And uh, thanks for listening. Good night. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.